Hello and welcome to season three of Family Twist, a podcast about DNA surprises, found family, and amazing adoption stories. I'm Kendall Austin Stulse, and my partner is Corey Stulse. We've had fabulous guests during seasons one and two. We're sharing stories of people who identify as NPEs, also called not parent expected, others who found out they were donor conceived and have surprise siblings, and even others with unique family twists. We started this podcast to spotlight Kendall's adoption story and his discovering both sides of his biological family in 2017. So if you're just finding the podcast, we encourage you to start with episode one to learn more about Kendall's journey. Thank you for listening. Our guest this episode of Family Twist is Corey Goodrich, author of Folk Song, a ballad of death, discovery, and DNA. Corey is also a musician, actor, painter, and in her words, all around bad. Welcome to Family Twist, Corey. You got that off my Instagram, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. Yes, yes. I definitely labeled myself a bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know Lizzo's got the copyright on 100%. Yep. Wow, well, she can have it. She is the yeah. queen but, of the bad. But if you yes, well, if you want to copyright bad, <laughs> I say, you know, strike while the iron is hot. <laughs> All right, I'll get right on that after we get off this call. Perfect. Well, I don't know that we've had a triple threat on before, like a, a painter, um, musician, and actor. So that's exciting. It's an unusual because, combination. Uh, we, you know, yeah. Kendall and I have dabbled in the arts over the years. We, we're certainly supporters of it. I think we're, we're better supporters than we are participants. But yeah. <laughs> you know, but we certainly appreciate the arts. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I do too. I mean, if it's my husband calls me the creative shark because you know how sharks can't stop swimming or, right. or they'll right. die. That's sort of me. I can't stop creating stuff or I think I will die. So That's great. Um, keep doing you know, the it. painting. The painting is part of the story too, which if, I, I will be happy to talk about that. But I've been an actress. Yes, I, because I was looking at your your paintings today and like. Um, the female figure paintings in particular were extremely striking and like, you know, it's like you, your eyes know what your eyes like. Right. So and I was immediately drawn to those um, just, you know, fantastic. I mean, I guess we could start there and we can always uh, backtrack. Can you talk a little bit about the the paintings? Sure. Well, I'm I mean, that it connects to my DNA discovery. Um, when I made my DNA discovery that uh, I had a different which, you know, I'm getting the cart in front of the horse here. But that's OK. Um, my biological father was a chemical engineer, but he was also sort of an amateur artist. Mm -hmm. And one of his principles that he taught his other children um, was that anybody can be an artist. You just need to put in the work and learn the, learn the rules. So after I made the discovery and I was really depressed and, and trying to figure out, you know, I would never meet this man because he had passed away the year before, I thought, well, maybe I'll just paint just to see out of curiosity if I have any any of his talent or maybe I can connect with him spiritually or something. And um, lo and behold, I, I found a, a talent. I had no idea I had. I've never picked up a paintbrush in my life until I made this discovery. Um, and, and in part, it was a little bit of art therapy in order to connect with him, like I said, and to work through some of my grief. Um, but then it just kept going and I fell in love with it. And now I paint any chance I get. And I, that's sort of my, my other career here now too so um and it is truly a gift i never would have discovered had it not been for the traumatic dna discoveries right i think that's awesome and i think that's probably one of those things i've thought about you know when kendall and i retire it would be fun to just be two old men sitting there painting um and you know he 
could have some some talent that we're not aware of yet because his father well we found out his birth father that uh you know we met five years ago um does paint you know or painted you know and and had some has some really good talent as well as his half sister on that side you know she's a very talented artist so that's very good that might be something that kendall discovers at some point if he ever picks up yeah you totally should because it's amazing how much how much actually comes through genes you know well it's interesting too that and Corey might have forgotten this um but with my adoptive mother i did actually take painting lessons with her and um we both enjoyed it she was much more talented than I was, but I was a very small child too. So, you know, maybe I just hadn't developed yet, but we loved um, oil painting. And um, for me, my fondest memories of her have to do with that setting, you know, with being in the art studio with her friend who was the teacher and uh, how serene it was. Just, it was calming you could shut out the world and sit. it was very um, moving when I think about it. And of course, when you're a kid, you don't really know what, what you're experiencing. But, but I remember becoming a teenager and thinking, wow, that was a, because I had lost her. She died when I was 10. And, you know, thinking back about those special moments that she and I had that she didn't really share with anybody else but me. You that's know. really beautiful. Yeah. yeah, that's and it's meaningful too. I had a conversation with someone the other day about, you know, what makes good art and and the magic that sort of happens. But I think the magic is the doing. That's mm-hmm. what's beautiful about about creating. And it, it the the product, the end result is great. But right, you make magic when you're making something, and mm-hmm. to have shared that with your adoptive mother is a really bonding, beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going to link to your artwork um, in our show notes for the episode so people can take a look. But can you talk a little bit about um, the female figure paintings? There's there's stars in there. It's, I'm getting a very like ethereal, cosmic, you know, vibes from them. But I'll let you, you know, talk about your art. But that's sure. what I was that's getting from it. It's funny because people say that they're very whimsical and happy. And I did those during the pandemic (laughs) because I had nothing else to do. And so I could take all the time and make the little dots and the little stars. And it was sort of actually a manifestation of my anxiety of the pandemic. But um, but each of them kind of tells a story. There's one. uh, He loves me, loves me not. And picking um, that one, she's picking the petals off of of a Davies but everything is bleak in front of her but everything is really beautiful behind her if she would just turn around and look instead of focusing on you know whether he loves her or not so each of those sort of tells um each of the women tells part of my story a little bit very very cool well now let's go back to the the secret that you didn't know about um so can you talk a little bit of just what, what it was like growing up for you and with your, your parents and siblings? Sure. So I am the youngest child of Tom and Ernie Goodrich, and um, they were divorced when I was seven. And I remember there were a lot of fights and there were drinks being mm. thrown across the room. And um, I tried to run away a couple of times because it was just chaos in the house. And Um, I was seven at the time. My parents divorced. We moved to Michigan with uh, my stepfather. My mom married Jim. And um, I always knew that there was something, there was some secret. She would never talk about why they got divorced. Um, I mean, and this was years later, of course, I'm asking her when I'm a teenager and when I'm an adult. And and she would never talk about it. She would, 
One time she said to me, well, there are things you don't know about your father, Corey. But she didn't tell me what that was, you know. <laughs> right. I pushed her and pushed her, and she would just get mad. And, and so I finally, I, after I had um, my, my own first daughter, I just kind of let it go because I wanted to have a peaceful relationship with her. And, um, and so I let it go. But in retrospect, there were certain things that I remembered. I remembered being in a hotel room uh, with my mom and an, a strange man. I remember the carpet. I remember the crib that I was in in the hotel room. Um, I be remember being rescued from a fountain. I had fallen in into a little fountain by somebody. And she would tell that story. And, and like, it was familiar, but I didn't know who the person was. And um, one time uh, when I was 16, I was in high school. We were looking for a picture for, a, a, I think it was a name that baby contest in high school. And I came across a picture of a man holding a baby. And I turned the picture over and it says, Corey, nine and a half months. And I'm like, oh, well, who's this guy? And uh, my mom said, well, he was a friend. I will never forget, uh, forgive Tom for what he did to him. Well, what, what did he do? <laughs> and she said, well, he was jealous and he uh, made, him, uh, made him be transferred down south with a job. And then he died and had a heart attack and, and died. And so um, I remembered that picture. After she died, um, I immediately went through her stuff, you know, in the guise of looking for things for her celebration of life. And um, but I was looking for that picture because I knew, I knew, I remembered this from when I was 16 years old. Right before she died, um, she had open heart surgery. Uh, we were out driving to go shopping together, and um, I asked her one last time, one last time, because I knew it was very likely she was not going to make it through the surgery. Um, I said, why did you and daddy get divorced? And she said, uh, well, I had an affair. You knew that. I'm like, no, I, I didn't. <laughs> you know. But um, she said, uh, yes. And his wife came to the house and she asked me not to take her husband. And she was very well dressed and she was very poised. And I really respected that. And and I'm sitting and driving the car going, oh, oh, okay, what did you do? Did you leave him alone? She said, yes. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I didn't push it because I knew she was about to be in surgery and I didn't want to upset her. But in retrospect, I had all the pieces, all the pieces to this puzzle. But my mind would not allow me to put them together. So mm -hmm. when I went through her things after she died, I found the picture. And I held it up to my brother and sister and said, who is this guy? Do you know the story of this? Do you know she had an affair? And my poor brother just turned completely white. And he said, yeah, his name is Don Garnett. And I said, well, what do you know about him? And he said, well, how much do you want to know? And instantly, I'm like, he's my real father, isn't he? And he said, yeah. And they confirmed it. My sister knew. My mother had told her when she was 11. Um, so... <laughs> The secret was me, and I had no, I had an idea, but I didn't have an idea, you know? Right. Um, I used to joke sometimes that I, you know, that that my dad really wasn't my dad, but then I felt really bad because I thought, why am I making this horrible joke? You know, I shouldn't be, and then it turned out to actually be true, so. What is the age difference between you and your siblings? Uh, my oldest brother is 12 years older, and then my sister is 11 years, and my next closest is seven years older. Gotcha. Okay. So they would have been, when, when you were born, you know, they would have been old enough to understand what the situation was. Yeah. And that's what the fights were about. You know, they remembered yeah. all those fights, but. So your parents stayed together for seven years. Right. 
I don't know why. That's the thing. Like, I can't really, because they're both gone and because my biological father is gone too, I can't get answers to any of these questions. So mm. I've actually found out that it was true. I have a new brother, and he confirmed this, that um, my father, Don, was transferred down south uh, to Texas. And that's where he met his next wife, and um, who was the mother of, of my brother, Lee. Um, so... Uh, I guess what had happened is my father, my father knew about the affair too. So he knew that I was Don's kid, but he chose to keep that secret as well and to raise me. And um, I am eternally grateful for that. But he had him transferred uh, to Texas. And I think the relationship ended then. So did Don have children before you? Mm -hmm. oh, Don okay. had two children with his current wife, which is the woman who came to the house and, and asked my mother not to take her husband. I'm actually meeting uh, Michael, who's the oldest brother, next week. He's coming here to Chicago. So I'm meeting him for the first time. Oh, wow. wow. Awesome. Yeah. So I imagine for, for him and his sister, I imagine there's a lot of pain uh, surrounding this because I'm the child of an affair that, that broke up her, their parents' marriage. Mm -hmm. you know? So I totally, I totally get that sort of hesitance um, to meet me as opposed to my younger brother who we instantly like he came to Chicago to meet me and we've traveled we went to Thailand and, and Spain and uh, Bali and Italy together we've just like we're fast friends he's my best buddy now and um, but it was different for him because you know there wasn't as much pain in his parents marriage so so this all comes to light after your mother's gone so you can't ask her any follow-up questions and I imagine your brother and sister only know so much because they were kids at the time too Right, right. So I get little bits and pieces. Um, and my aunt told me a little bit and my childhood best friend, who also knew who was my age, like, how the heck did you know it? You know, she found out when she was seven, when I moved away, and kept that secret for all those years, too. So I get little little pieces of it. I've A lot of it, I've, as an actress, it's easy for me to sort of imagine and step in her shoes and, and uh, kind of put the puzzle together. I'm not entirely sure I'm 100% accurate, but I could make a pretty good guess of at what happened. And Who are these people that could keep the secret? I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just me and my family and, and most of my good friends. Like, we're not, don't tell us if you don't want somebody yeah. to know. Yeah, it, it would get out quickly in Corey's yeah. family. Yeah. It's amazing that they did. I mean, I don't know if there was fear in there or not wanting also to upset my mom or um, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. How soon did you reflect thinking about like, was I treated differently by my dad? But my, did my brother and sister treat me differently? Was there, did that happen for you? Um, it's funny because once this happens, once you make the discovery, you sort of recalibrate everything that has ever happened in your mind to put things t together. Do yeah, I thought, I mean, I was grieving my mom's death. I was grieving my biological father's uh, death, who had died the year before, not many years ago when my mom said he did. He had just died in 2016. And also mourning the fact that Tom Goodrich was not my father anymore, too. So at first it was that. But then, I mean, yeah, you start going back and saying, oh, wait, is that why he did this? And and I think I think that the uh, woman my dad lived with after the divorce, I think she knew because she would say things like, um, you don't know how wonderful Tom is. She 
she was quite a character, but, but you know, I'm very dramatic, but you have no idea how wonderful he is. And now I think, oh, she was saying that because she knew. Um, my friend that I grew up with really hated my mother and I could never understand why she hated her so much. Well, now, of course, now I know why, because it all clicks in. And yeah, I thought that about my siblings. If they, I wondered if they thought differently. I thought about my dad and um, you can't help but kind of just reframe your entire life. Thinking, sure. Yeah. Hi, it's Kendall. I just wanted to pause here for a moment to ask a quick favor. If you're able to safely look at your phone, not while driving, we would love it if you will subscribe to the podcast and if you'll give us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. Okay, back to the episode. I think everybody goes through that type of traumatic experience differently. And, and you mentioned mourning. I mean, was there anger as well? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, not as much anger at my mother as people think I should have. Um, actually, she was the person I forgave the most. Well, I guess the anger came from not trusting me enough to know the secret, you know, to, to know about my father. That I was furious about. But I can't be mad at her for having an affair because I'm here, you know? Right, right. And we never know the full story of people's lives and what's going on. So other people judged her very harshly for that, though. Um, and I think that's hard for me to hear sometimes, you know? Well, when we started doing this podcast, like, we didn't know how big the big the, the community the umbrella of it is just uh, there's so many people falling into different categories and but i'm sure at the time you, you felt like it was just you when did you start to realize that there's like a community of folks who refer to themselves as npes or you know non-parental event or there's i think there's like three three uh abbreviate three ways to say it lda lda npe and dc so donor conceived late discovery adoption and not care and expected um pretty quickly somebody referred me to the uh, facebook group and from there it was a it was a lifeline to read stories from other people who were going through the same thing because um the extreme emotions and how long it took me to get over it because nothing had changed in my life besides my mother dying but nothing else had changed really so why was i having an identity crisis and and why was i so depressed and and uh and angry and and you know two and a half years into it i'm i was still just raging at the <laughs> raging at the universe saying why is this happening and um that was a godsend for me sharing our stories i'm a big proponent of folk music and storytelling, but sharing our stories about, uh, you know, the things that we are ashamed of and our pain is really important for other people because it lights a candle in the dark for somebody else who is struggling and it can normalize uh, the situation and it can make people feel like they are not alone because that is the worst feeling. Um, and when you realize that other people are having similar emotions and experiences, it's a relief, I think, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you feel about, or what, what message do you have out there for women who are still keeping this secret, you know, from a child? Um, and then, you know, what do you, what advice do you have for a child who's just found out, you know, this bombshell? I don't think anyone had any idea what the repercussions would be for the child. 
I think that, especially people of my age and my mother's generation, I think they thought they were doing the best thing, that it was better to keep it a secret, um, to avoid the, the B word, the bastard word, you know, um, not only for their own reputations, but for ours mm -hmm. as well, because historically there is a lot of prejudice against children who are born of affairs. So um, I do believe that people were... Uh, keeping it secret for the best intentions. However, there is a huge need for the child to know their biological identity and their origin stories. And I can't tell you what a relief it was for me to find all these things about my father because I am just like him. And all the things that made me question whether I belonged in this family, what's wrong with me, I'm so different, it was answered like that. And that is a huge relief. So if you are keeping the secret... <laughs> please talk about it. Trust your children enough to handle the truth because um, there is great trauma for making this discovery at a later age. I think with adoptees, when children grow up knowing that they are adopted, it's a much different story from making the discovery when they're adults. It's trauma. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing we can do is to talk openly and honestly and, um, and share. Yeah. And, you know, your story is not unique in that we've talked to several people who they either wanted to, or they did take the secret to the grave, mm -hmm. you know, and it was only after the, after, you know, someone had died that, that it came out. But then you think about like, wow, I mean, had you been told when you were a teenager or even in your early twenties, you could have had a relationship with this birth father, who's an artist who you could have shared, you know, that joy of painting together. Yeah. And who loved me. I found a letter that that he wrote to my mom, basically saying he called me his most loved child or whatever. So, I mean, that's heartbreaking for me to know that that there was a man out there that could have acted like a father when I didn't really have a father figure, you know. But my my dad that I, uh, Tom Goodrich, you know, I was only with him till I was seven. And I would come back in the summers, but he wasn't really my parental figure. So, yeah. What was the order of the healing? Did you find the um, the group first, the Facebook group, or did you start um, getting into art and stuff first? Like, what was the process? Oh, interesting. Hmm. I think I found the Facebook group first. That was pretty quickly. I think that was maybe six months into it. And um, I started painting probably around the same time. I actually started sketching what my depression looked like. Um, and I sent those sketches to my brother, who is an artist, and he's like, oh, you've got something here. So I kind of, with his encouragement, I started painting more. And then he was the one who told me, well, you need to do acrylics because that's what our dad did. So then I started painting with acrylics, and then it just kind of blossomed for there. But I have a lot of my paintings really deal with that grief. And um, it's surprising to me when I show somebody else who is an MP or um, LDA, BC, one of these paintings, they go, oh, they instantly recognize that feeling of what it is. So I think there is something about those early paintings, um, though they were not, didn't have technique or skill or anything, they had just raw emotion. And I think that writing or singing or, or anything that people can do when, after you've made these discoveries um, can be very beneficial, even if you don't show it to anybody. But creativity in the arts is an excellent way to sort of tap into those feelings that you're not really necessarily ready to articulate. Have you done any training or are you just self-taught and you're just, you know, improving as time goes on? 
uh, in art or in therapy? In art. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, although I'm really fascinated with art therapy. I would like to actually investigate that a little bit more. But I, I'm kind of I, – I am self-taught. I, that's how I do my instruments, too, and, and um, my music. I just kind of teach myself. And YouTube is a valuable resource. Sure. It sure is. Yeah, for, you know, learning how to sing or – well, for me, it was trying to learn how to fix our snowblower, which uh, unfortunately that failed, but oh well. <laughs> he, he is not an artiste when it comes to snowblower uh, no. repair. Um, I, I think um, my approach to like as a handyman and an artist would be abstract. Would be yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but spark plugs do matter. They do, <laughs> yes. Um. Did your love of performance come from this or was that always there? No, it was always there. I, I don't know if that came from my mother's side of the family. My mother was a singer when she was, um, they were in an Andrew Sisters type group with her mm-hmm. sisters. So I think it came from her. But after the fact, I also found out that um, my dad, my biological father, picked up guitar at about the same time in life that I picked up guitar because I picked it up about 10 years ago. Um, so that was fascinating to me that we were sort of on the same trajectory there. Um, and he used to, his favorite song I hear was that old rugged cross by Johnny Cash. He sang that for his mother's funeral and I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. So, um, uh, yeah, so I think it came from my mom, but also, God, I can talk all day. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. please. This no, is it's good. This is gold. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in, I, I did hypnosis, uh, hypnotherapy, which was actually really crazily beneficial um but you sort of go back to these key moments in your in your life and your youth and um and one of the discoveries I sort of made was she's like well why did you become an actress and we went back to the place in my past and it's because I needed to be seen because my parents didn't see me as a child because they were also involved in their own drama that and when I realized that I just started stopping because <laughs> it made perfect sense you know that's that's why I did it that's not why I do it now but um yeah and theater is very much a home for lost souls I think especially in high school so um yeah it's a great place for for I just I music directed a show at a high school here in Chicago and um and yeah, it's the it's the belonging to something from kids who don't necessarily belong to other things that's really healing, and that community is really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Kendall and I both, you know, have that performance as you know kids background, and it's just you know the arts. I mean, it's so they're so important, and so I just you know I would love to see them get a little bit stronger in schools now, you know, because it's just a lot of things have been stripped away, but just like, I'm thinking that's, you know, wow. We, we had a reunion of like an impromptu sort of reunion of the theater kids from high school about four or five years ago when I went back to St. Louis and it was just like looking around this room of like 25, 30 people. And, you know, only a couple were still working in what we would call performance professionally, but it's like everybody was doing something amazing. And it's like, you got to mm-hmm. wonder like how much of theater, you know, being involved like that made that impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Being tapped into that creative side. And 
I said to the kids this last weekend, I said, you know, you will go on to do bigger. You think that this is the pinnacle of your life right now. You will go on to do bigger and better things and you will be brilliant in many areas, but you will never forget the people that are in this room right now and the love that you shared. It's, it's truly a miraculous thing. So you did theater too? Yes. Yeah. That's actually how Kendall and I met, um, yeah. you know, did it, did it in high school, did a little bit in college and then um, got involved with a small theater troupe, you know, when I was in my late twenties and they were uh, the first thing I did with them, they were doing an all um, drag version of steel magnolias. Yes. So. <laughs> called steel drag. Steel Nolias, drag. Well, we st- it was technically still called steel magnolias. Yeah. But that's how we sort of teased it. Yeah. Um, and then with the same, um, company did a play called sorted lives a couple years later and kendall attended that and that's how we met at the cast party. party yeah yeah i know it's crazy but yeah it's and you know i think that for me well my mother when I, my adoptive parents said that i was always you know theatrical and a bit of a nuisance, um, actually, when I was like <laughs> two or three, um, you know, watch me, watch me, you know, and who knows where that came from. But I know that as I got older and felt a little more disengaged, you know, from, from, uh, I don't know, like, I, yes, I, I ran track, but I'm the least competitive person, you know, that you'll ever meet. And so that wasn't, I didn't care if I won, you know, what I wanted to do was, like you said, be seen and and connect to people on a completely different uh, plane, I think, than sports or, you know, sports have their place and they're, it's great and for fitness and I get it. But I just really found my tribe in the, the, the theater. So, well, theater is a team sport. You know, it's not a competitive sport. You are a team and you have to rely on each other. It's every bit as valid as as the sports teams. But also, um, I'm in a a production company with a few friends of mine. We were talking yesterday about how we are all former, well, they're former actresses, um, but that everybody thinks that we do this because we want to be stars and the applause and, and to be seen in that way. But it's not about that at all. We do it because we want commu- community. And that's what you got from from them in high school too. Absolutely. And that is the most important aspect of being on stage for us. It's not it's not the razzmatazz and the pretty costumes. It's the communion between audience and stage. Well, for me it was kind of some of the razzmatazz too. But... <laughs> well, yeah, that too. I like that too. <laughs> Se- sequins do help apparently. Right. But, you know, what? Like... No flowers? What? <laughs> So I have to tell you, the first show that I did after my mom died was Steel Magnolias. Oh, awesome! Cool. Were you, were you were in it? Yeah, I was. I played Malin. Oh, and man. that monologue at the end where she's talking about Shelby and how they pulled the plug. I mean, it killed me every night because that's exactly what happened with my mom. So I was basically reliving my trauma on stage in front of, you know, 400 people a night. <laughs> uh, if it helps, you want to take a whack at me? I was Weezer. If you want to take a whack at Weezer, you go right ahead. <laughs> it's a brilliant script, yeah. isn't it? Oh, my so gosh. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and the movie, too. Like, it's, if, if I stumble upon it, it's like, well, Annis, I know what I'm watching for the rest of the hour. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so... How did you decide that not only did you want to be a member of the community, the MPE 
you know, community, but then also be a voice in it because, you know, you've gone on to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's partially because I believe storytelling is so important because storytelling builds empathy and builds connection with people. And since theater is my main mode of communication and music, um, that's how I communicate anyway. It was sort of a natural uh, progression for me to do that. But also, I think that many of us who make this discovery, after we get through a lot of the grieving process, we feel this calling to share with other people, to write about it, to talk about it. Um, I have somewhat of a, a platform from you know my acting and my music that I feel like um, I want people to know that this is trauma. I want people to know that there are resources that they, they can go to and stories from other people that they can listen to that will be helpful. And I, I want to educate too. And I think that's something that is pretty common among a lot of us. People don't know about the trauma of NPE discovery. Um, and why would they, <laughs> you know? Right. So if we have something to share that will make it easier for the next person who's going through this, I think we sort of have an obligation to do that. I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. And the community is growing every day as more and more people are doing tests or those dirty little family secrets come out, you know, one way or another. Yeah. What do they say? 10%? I think the it's estimated 10% of uh, DNA tests come up with a not parent expected or surprise. Yeah. 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 And that's probably low. When you've talked about it, like with, with random people, doesn't everybody say, oh, I know somebody who, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just become more and more common. I think when we, you know, the first handful of times we told the story when we, because we moved from California to New England. And so the, you know, the first few times we told the story, um, you know, people were fascinated or, you know, oh, they get goosebumps or they, they tear up. But then it's really like, oh, my gosh, I just heard about, you know, such and such. And. I mean, it's, it's hard to encounter somebody at this point who doesn't know somebody who has gone through it, Yeah, you know. But it's good because in, in doing what you're doing, we are destigmatizing things. And we're, it doesn't have to be a secret, which is where I think for many of us, the, the discovery of my biological father is not the painful thing. Um, that was actually very healing for me. The, the painful thing was that the betrayal of people hiding it and keeping that from me. So... If we can encourage people to not do that, then. Something that's been really important to me, and, and it, it didn't, I didn't know that it was going to be important to me, but showing empathy for the people who aren't yet ready to really confront all of the issues that come up, that, that's been important to me too, because it, you know, I, I'm not in your place right? I was an adoptee who always knew I was an adoptee. And I meet people with stories like yours and the people who, you know, haven't, they, they don't feel comfortable naming their family members. They don't feel comfortable having the conversations that they need to have. That, that hurts me. You know what I mean? Like for them, it really does. Yeah, they, I think in this situation, there is quite a burden to protect everybody else. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you know, I was asked by my stepfather, he said, don't talk about this. Do not tell anybody. So, of course, I am here and telling everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, but people are on different um, timelines of, of when they can uh, talk about these things. Because if parents are still alive, if, if they don't want to embarrass their mother, they don't want to bring shame mm -hmm. onto their biological father's family too so yeah. um yeah we're all on different timelines yeah right 
Right. And, and it's good for me to hear that uh, repeatedly because, you know, when I think about it, my biological mother's other son is very distant from me. And you're describing exactly what I think he feels. I think mm -hmm. he feels it's his duty uh, to, you know, protect our mother and her, I, I'm just assuming reputation, although, you know, that's 52 years late, but, you know, um, you know, and, and part of me, of course, judges him because of that. And I have to stop and think I'm not living. I, I have to stop and put myself in his place. You know, he's the one that didn't know that I existed. And now I do. And I'm pretty forceful, forceful with my, with my love and gratitude, you know? Um, yeah. But it's not yeah. your fault, you no. know, and, and you being asked to, to keep that secret or to protect her reputation is, can be a burden, you know, mm -hmm. um, when, for people who are already suffering and not that you want to call people out and be mean. Of course you want to be empathetic to the, the mothers sure. and the fathers in this situation as well, because they were going through things. Yes. Right. At right. some point you, I, all of us who are experiencing this have to choose ourselves and do what is right for us gently, kindly, with compassion for the people involved, of course, but um, it is important to prioritize our own mental health and um, the things that we need sometimes. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the main reasons we started doing this, and granted, we're doing, you know, we're communicating in a, in a more public way than a lot of people are, you know, in this situation, because we're, we're putting this out there for anybody to discover. But, you know, the beginning, that was to help Kendall with his healing and to, you know, to to um, capture his history. And then it only took a couple of episodes after we, you know, were not interviewing people we knew, we were interviewing, you know, strangers. It was like, oh, there's this huge community out there. And there are, there are these stories that need to be told because there are similarities and differences between all of them. And, you know, we're finding similarities in everybody that we've talked to. You know, I mean, like the Steel Magnolias thing, you know, just like, I mean, there's been every episode almost, there's been something along those lines for us, you know, something that, that kind of ties us together. But I, you know, I think it's important that these stories are, are told. And even, you know, your story has, you know, is, is heartbreaking, but it's also heartening at the same time, because you're getting to know your artist brother, but didn't have the opportunity to, you know, get to know your birth father. However, you've got this community out there, you know, this, you know, social media community, which even if somebody does discover, unfortunately, too late, that there's nobody, you know, there's nobody in that family that's still alive, that community's still there. And there are going to be other people in that community that are going through the same thing that I didn't, you know, I, I found that out and it was too late. They were all gone. But now I've got these people, you know. There is so much power in sharing our stories for other people, for ourselves. One of the things uh, about writing my book is that I was sort of experiencing the trauma every time I would I would reread it and edit it and, and go through it again. And it was painful every time. But every time, it also got more of a story. And, and so each telling and each revision um, just put it on a different plane for me. And that helped me heal tremendously, you know. Um, because sure. I could look at it. I could, instead of being all here inside, I could sort of take it out and look at it and examine it. And, um, right. and that was healing. And it is, it's important for us to speak our truths and um, in order to heal. In order to... 
for sure. I mean, I was going through the many, many reviews that your book has on Amazon and just the people that were coming out of the woodwork that's just like, well, wow, you know, this is, you know, what, what a wonderful story and I can relate to this and thank you, Corey, for writing it and, you know, all that out there. So that's, you know, that's great. Thank you. I've been very fortunate. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's, you know, kudos to you for being willing to share your story in such a, you know, big way. You know, it's not you know, closed into like, a, you know, a small group of people gathering for, you know, some type of therapy, like you're, you, you know, put it out there. Because I want, I want to help. I do really want to help people who are going mm-hmm. through it. So, but thank you for saying yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you gearing up for next? What is the next performance Ugh. or? Uh, what am I doing next? I'm doing a tea this weekend uh, where I'm singing some of the music from my album, which, which goes along with the book. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm auditioning for things. I'm, I, I, I'm sort of in a limbo right now trying to figure out what the next big project is. So stay tuned <laughs> post-pandemic is chicago a good theater city great great theater city it hasn't come back fully yet yeah. so we're still kind of in that weird place but um yeah i love chicago i i didn't want to go to new york i'm not a big city girl i knew i wanted kids and i knew i wanted um you know room to breathe and green grass and everything so this was a it's a fantastic place for theater yeah we, yeah, we love we Chicago. Love that was one of the places that we talked about. If we stayed in the Midwest, we talked about moving to Chicago. Where are you now? You're East Coast, but where? We're in New Hampshire. We're in New Hampshire. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is, especially now that we're getting into actual spring weather. <laughs> it, it, although when I woke up this morning, uh, I asked the Echo what the weather was like, and they, it said, it's currently snowing, and I looked up, and it was, <laughs> bar- barely, but I was like, it is April. This is ridiculous. Right. I'm done. I'm done with this. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, well. Well, I was really excited when I saw a couple of photos of you, Corey, um, with an auto harp because I, you don't see that very often. And my dad. No the way. Yeah. Wait, now, yeah. where's your dad from? Yeah. From St. Louis. St. Louis. That's interesting. That's not a typical yeah. instrument yes. for it's usually the Appalachian. Yeah. Uh... No, he was he again, self-taught, you know, got into strings he you know he played acoustic guitar banjo and the auto harp you know and just you know would sit in the bedroom and pluck away and i've got some of his music books and yeah we've actually got his um he had two guitars um my brother's a musician and he ended up with all my dad's instruments but he's not super sentimental so uh he gave the acoustic guitar to my sister who gave it to my niece who was learning to play guitar and then we've got my dad's electric so have you picked up the auto harp at all <laughs> no, I mean, I think Kendall's probably more musically inclined as far as instruments go. Yeah. Um, I would love to like at some point, you know, when I'm an old man, take piano lessons. I've always, I've always thought about that, you know, but yeah. absolutely. It's never too late. That's right. But the auto harp is just, you don't see it. And it was like, I didn't, you know, like as a little kid, I'm like, what is this? Because you certainly don't see it being played on TV. Right. Can I tell you my auto harp story? Please. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I was doing Ring of Fire the story of Johnny Cash and the music director said I want you to learn your I was playing June Carter Cash he said you have to learn the auto harp and you're going to play these songs with the auto harp and I'm like sure what is this thing (laughs) um I'm in Chicago you can't find lessons on on an auto harp so I did some google searching and I found um, a magazine called auto harp quarterly which there's not enough interest to do a monthly (laughs) quarterly we can get I'm surprised there's a quarterly (laughs) (laughs) annually maybe yeah 
so in this online magazine, there was um, the uh, Cohen Grapple Recording Endowment, and you have to fill out all these things to um, possibly get a $5,000 recording grant to make an auto harp album. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to do this. Just I had made my last album, so I knew the figures and everything. And it's like, I'll do this just as a motivation for me. And maybe if I want to do one, an album down the line, maybe then they'll know who I am. And so I did everything. And I won the thing. And I didn't have an auto harp. I didn't know how to play. And I had a year to make this album. <laughs> so the first wow. thing, so I'm like, I have to have an auto harp. What am I going to do? So I found two luthiers, one in um, Seattle and one in Pennsylvania. And I drove to the man in Pennsylvania. His name was George Orthy. And it turned out he was actually one of June Carter's pallbearers when she died. And he had made the auto harp an auto harp for her sister, Helen. Helen had this auto harp. June came over and saw it, took one look at it and said, that's mine. And she left with it. So Helen calls George crying saying, June took my auto harp. And, um, and so he made her another one, but he, he built one for me. That was the exact same type that June Carter oh, has. So, cool. it's, so it's really, it is very special to me. Wow. Yeah. That's what a cool tie to, and the, you know, to, then to play June, hmm. you know, and how did it go with playing live in the show? It was great. I got an award for it. So <laughs> hey, and I have right. an album out now, but, um, Cool. Uh, yeah, it's a quirky little instrument, but it's really it's really fun. And that ties back into my love of folk music, which is storytelling. And we get back to mm -hmm. we're back yeah. to the head of the circle again. Right. <laughs> wow. It's it's funny how things get that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Well, Corey, thank you so much for being open to sharing your story, not just with us, but through your book and your social media output is fantastic. Uh, so uh, you know, keep up the good work, keep performing, you know, you're, you're an inspiration for those of us who don't do it as often as we'd like to, but, you know, think about it every once in a while. And I'm sure at some point Kendall and I will find the community theater and start auditioning and ushering and whatever we, you know, yeah, <laughs> whatever we need sure. to do. Absolutely. We need you. You're my tribe. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. And thank you for what you're doing too, because that's important. I mean, Corey told me this Corey told me a long time ago uh, that, you know, this would be, really therapeutic and it has been it's it to your point we're both people who want to give back to the community whatever community that is and i i have found so much gratification you know in hearing people's stories and getting them out there you know that's what i think to your point i think that's what matters so much um yeah, well, I'm excited that you get to see your brother, uh, and I hope that you'd be open to coming back on and telling us how that goes. That, yeah, that sounds absolutely. exciting, too. I, uh, I, he sent me a recipe to make for dinner, so I'm like, okay. That's <laughs> so funny. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe some critiques involved. <laughs> <laughs> And the next time you're on, you'll have to grace us with a little auto harp playing. Oh, I'd love to. That would be so fun. Yeah. That's cool. Really Excellent. Great. Well, Corey, thank you so much. Um, just you, you put a smile on both of our faces. You know, this yeah. has been a lot of fun. Well, I guarantee you, you will not talk to anyone else about the auto harp in the series. I, I think you're right. right. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yes. Season three, <laughs> the season of the auto that's, harp. That's all you. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, talking thank with you. you both. And this was really fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Family Twist. We feature original music by Cosmic Afterthoughts. 
And Family Twist is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. Check out our website at familytwistpodcast.com for blog posts and all of our episodes. <laughs>